Well, um, in this uh, series, uh, we're thinking about being on mission together. And uh, over this term, uh, we're considering how, um, in lots of different ways, we're all involved in God's mission, um, but how we, we can all be involved in kind of different ways. Um, so we're basing this series on a book by John Dixon called Promoting the Gospel. Uh, we're about halfway through, so I thought today we might just give a little uh, summary or recap of what we've covered. So here's a little picture uh, on the next slide there, Jock. Um, some of the ways that we've seen so far to promote the gospel um, include, firstly, uh, proclaiming the gospel. That's what Mark spoke to us about a couple of weeks ago. Um, he helped us think about the message which we promote, uh, as well as how we might speak the gospel in everyday conversations. Um, last week, uh, Joash spoke to us about prayer and how prayer needs to really underpin our mission and how important that is uh, in all of our mission endeavours. Uh, other ways include our godly behaviour. Uh, that's what we're going to be thinking about and digging into a bit today, how the way that we live uh, promotes the gospel. Uh, then in the next couple of weeks, we're going to think about some other aspects, um, including the role of those particularly gifted in evangelism, uh, and then also our financial partnership, and also how our corporate gatherings, our praise, uh, contributes to promoting the gospel together. So I hope that as we explore this, that you can see that there are many ways that we can all be involved in seeing the gospel go forward in our community. And really one thing to keep in mind is, even though we're looking at those one a, one a week, uh, is that they all need to go together. Uh, it's not just about majoring in one, uh, but we need to be pursuing all of these as we seek to grow as God's church here at St Aidan's. So that's kind of the uh, overview, but let's dive in today. And what we're thinking about today is the role of our behaviour, um, the role that our conduct uh, plays in promoting the gospel. Uh, two weeks ago when Mark spoke on um, the topic of promoting the gospel in daily conversation, uh, one of the lines he picked up from John Dixon's book was that we are to live lives worth questioning and to give uh, answers worth hearing. Uh, that was a great line, I think. Live lives worth questioning and give answers worth hearing. So we're really going to dig in today to that first part of living lives worth questioning. Um, and my hope is that as we think about this, that it's an encouragement to us to keep living out our faith day by day. Uh, maybe you think that as you live as a Christian before others, that it's, maybe it's not making much difference. Uh, but what we'll see from God's word today is he assures us that it does. And I was reminded as well this week um, of a survey that was done a couple of weeks ago, which also uh, a couple of years ago, which really confirms that as well. A few years ago, um, McCrindle Research produced a faith and life survey um, to try and get the views of how the average Australian thinks about church and religion. And just to give you a couple of summary points, a couple of things they discovered uh, relating to this topic uh, was first, they said that um, the, the greatest attraction to investigating spirituality and religion is observing people who live out a genuine faith. Uh, the greatest attraction, uh, the thing most likely to make someone think, oh, maybe I should consider that Christianity thing, uh, is observing people who live out a genuine faith. Um, but then the flip side of that uh, was this. They also discovered that 
perceptions of Christians and Christianity are negatively influenced by the actions and behaviours of Christians in society. And so they also said perceptions of church abuse are the greatest negative influence, uh, followed by religious wars and also uh, hypocrisy. So what do those two findings mean? Well, clearly it's saying to us that the way that we live, the way that we behave as Christians has a massive impact on our mission to promote the gospel. How we live can be the factor that opens doors so that people are willing to hear uh, the message about Jesus, but it can also be the thing that slams those doors shut. So today this is what we're going to be thinking about, promoting the gospel through Christian behaviour. And uh, three aspects to that today. These are all in your newsletter if you want to follow along there. First I want us to think about really the, the place of good works in the Christian life um, because we want to be clear about where do, where do good works fit in uh, and then to consider, well, what would it look like to be a church worth questioning and what would it look like to live lives worth questioning? But first we, we do want to think about asking this question, what is the place of uh, good works in the Christian life? Um, Because throughout the history of the church, uh, there's really been quite a lot of debate about this. Um, And really the key question is, why do good works? And in particular, do we need to do any good works in order to be saved? And uh, for many years in the history of the church, I mean, that was really the understanding. Uh, This is what reformers like Martin Luther uh, stood against at the time of the Reformation. Luther grew up uh, in the church and uh, what he'd been taught was that in order to be right with God, what you needed to do was to do what is in you. Uh, You needed to do your best. Uh, And I think really that's what a lot of people think today, isn't it? As long as I do my best, as long as I live a good life, don't hurt anyone, well then God would be happy with me. But friends, the problem is, and this is what caused such distress for Martin Luther, the problem is how can you ever know if you've done enough? How can you ever know if you've done your best? Uh, And as well as that, I think if we even reflect for a few moments, we know that we don't always do what is in us. Uh, We often do what we know is wrong instead. But see, the wonderful truth of the gospel that Luther and others rediscovered as they returned to the scriptures is that we are saved not by our own effort or merit or our good works. Rather, we're saved by what Jesus has done. We're saved by his effort and his merit and his good works, which are credited to us by faith, given to us as a gift. And if you look here in this passage uh, in Titus, Well, this is what Paul says to us clearly here in Titus chapter 2. If you just look down to verse 11, he says that the grace of God has appeared that does what? That offers salvation to all people. And uh, he unpacks this uh, grace of God uh, then over in verse 14 as he talks about Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And it's a wonderful chapter uh, to think here, uh, Titus chapter 2, to help us see how we are saved by grace, not by anything that we do. We're saved by God's kindness to us. And that gives us great confidence and assurance 
because we can rest in the finished work of what Jesus has done, knowing that he did everything that was needed in order to bring us to God. But also this chapter, it shows us that the grace that saves us, well, that grace also seen in verse 12, uh, teaches us now how to live as God's saved people, saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions and living self-controlled, upright and godly lives. And see, that's not in order to earn or to add to our salvation in any way, but rather as a result of being saved, as God's now redeemed people, he redeemed us there to make us his very own, verse 14, eager to do what is good. We want to get this clear, don't we? We're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace. But as we take hold of that grace, well, it teaches us how to live good and godly lives. And one way to think about this, um, you know, one image that I find helpful is that good works or Christian behaviour, a changed life, however you want to put it, well, these things are really the, the fruit that grows from being saved by the gospel. Uh, because as we put our trust in Jesus, we, we begin to live a new life uh, planted and rooted in him. And as we live in him, as our our roots go down deeper and deeper into the gospel, well, what that will produce over time is fruit. The fruit of a changed life as we are transformed to be more like Jesus. The fruit of good works as we display his character and goodness to those around us. So I think this is how we need to think about good works. They are the, the fruit that comes from being saved through the gospel. And as we continue, we see in the New Testament how that fruit will be seen uh, corporately as we live together as God's church, um, as well as individually as we live this out as God's people. So let's um, think about uh, first in the corporate sense about how living out the gospel as a church, how that makes us a church worth questioning. And to do that, I want you to just turn back to Matthew chapter 5, which was our first reading today. Now this is uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, that famous section, Um, and we're going to pick it up, really just focus on his uh, very famous words to his church about being the light of the world. So this is what Jesus says in verse 14 of Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. And when he says that, when he says the word you, he's talking to you, the group, Uh, Not you individually, you as a people, it's you plural. You as my church, you are the light of the world. And notice he says you are. He doesn't say you will be or I want you to be or go and try harder (laughs) to be. He says you are. When we belong to Jesus, we are the light of the world. But I think the question here is, well, what kind of light are we going to give off? Uh, We are the light of the world, but will our light be kind of almost invisible, like a lamp that's hidden under a bowl? Or, he says, will our light shine brightly like a lamp on a stand or like a city on a hill with its lights shining and lighting up the darkness of the night? Verse 16, Jesus says, let your light shine before others. 
And the result of this light, see the end of that verse, is that the people of the world will glorify your Father in heaven. Now that's mission. This is God's mission to make known his salvation to the ends of the earth. But a really key thing to notice here in the middle of verse 16 is what is it that makes the light shine? What is it that is going to win the world to the worship of God? Well, let me read that whole verse again in verse 16. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, John Dixon, as he unpacks this in his book, he comments, this is the comment he makes, he says, these words are fascinating and unexpected. The Lord here insists that the world will be brought to its knees before God through the good deeds of his people. Now, I wonder if you read that, do you think, like, is that a mistranslation or something? I mean, is that really what Jesus said? I mean, shouldn't he have said something there about speaking the gospel? But the verse is quite clear, isn't it? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, what might those good deeds be? Well, the phrase simply means acts of kindness or goodness. And uh, it's located right here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think if we let that context kind of fill out what that phrase might mean... Well, it's going to mean things like we see in the Beatitudes there just before. In verse 5, meekness. Uh, In verse 7, showing mercy. Uh, In verse 9, being a peacemaker. Um, As you continue through the Sermon on the Mount, it includes telling the truth. uh, Loving enemies. uh, Giving to the needy. Turning the other cheek. uh, Not being judgmental. Imagine a community of people like that. Wouldn't that be attractive? It'd be the light of the world. And what does a bright light do? Well, it attracts, doesn't it? I mean, what, what happens when you see on a tree uh, that it's full of fruit? You go over to it, don't you? It draws you in. It's what the McCrindle research said before and it's what Jesus says here. Let your light shine that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now it's not that we should only do good deeds um, and that's the point of this series is that there's all of these different aspects that come together to promote the gospel. Uh, Of course we need to speak the gospel. Uh, Faith comes by hearing. Uh, People will only come to the Father when they hear about the Father in heaven. But we see here, don't we, the role of good deeds. The good deeds of the church will be this light that draws people so that they will be much more likely to give us a hearing. And really, I think you see this in the New Testament. I mean, from the start of the church in the book of Acts, uh, we see how good deeds and gospel proclamation go hand in hand. Um, Through the early chapters of Acts, if you read through them, you you see that the Christians are very bold in speaking the gospel. uh, But alongside that, I mean, they're caring for the poor. uh, They're including those who are on the edge of society into their community. Uh, So much so that by the end of the third century, huge numbers of the Roman Empire had become Christian. And historians will say that a large part of that was due to the good deeds and the acts of mercy shown by the church. 
Now, I'd want to say as well, and John Dixon points this out in his book, that um, you don't just do this as a tactic for church growth. You know, it's not a strategy so that we can just grow the church. Uh, in the early church, I mean, this is what just grew out of the gospel. Um, the church rejoiced in its message that they are saved by grace, and so they displayed God's grace to those around them. They proclaimed that God so loved the world, and they demonstrated their love in, you know, to those around them. That was the fruit that grew. That was the light that shone. So I hope you can see it's part of our mission, uh, being a church that displays God's grace. Um, but also, as we continue, it's also part of our mission as individuals as we live lives worth questioning. And to think about this, I want you to come back over to Titus again. I think that was 1700, wasn't it? That was a much easier page number to remember. Um, so Titus chapter 2, here we see uh, Paul writing to Titus. And you notice in a few ways here in this chapter how important our Christian behaviour is in the work of the gospel. Um, first, Paul states how our behaviour can kind of act as a defence of the gospel, um, saying that our godly behaviour can silence those who would malign God's word. Uh, you see that firstly in verse 5. Uh, in verses 1 to 4, Paul gives instructions about what godly living looks like. And then he states the reason for that, the end of verse 5. He says, so that no one will malign the word of God. And you notice in this section what godly living looks like. Uh, it is in verse 2, living lives uh, worthy of respect, uh, self-controlled, sound in faith, Love and endurance. Uh, in verse 3, not slanderers or addicted to much wine, but teaching what is good. I mean, when we live like that, when we're living those kind of lives, will that also bring about the result of verse 8? Um, that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So it's hard to point the finger at someone who's living a life of integrity. But friends, sadly, we know too well, don't we, that too often the behaviour of Christians and churches has done the opposite. Uh, it hasn't silenced those who would oppose the faith, but rather it's just given them so much more to talk about. Uh, it seems that nearly every week there's some church leader or some Christian organisation that makes the news, not because of their good works, but because of some kind of abuse or some kind of inappropriate behaviour. And it maligns the gospel, doesn't it? I mean, it drags the reputation of the church and the God we serve through the mud. I mean, what should happen is what we read in verse 10. You see the end of the, that verse. The effect that our living, our Christian behaviour should have is that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. I mean, it's clear, isn't it? The way that we live as Christians, it will have a huge impact on how those around us perceive and hear the gospel. It can be a positive impact and it can be a detrimental impact. Now maybe you're thinking, John, this is sounding like a pretty high bar um, and can any of us measure up? Well, of course, the truth is that none of us measure up. Uh, we're all sinners and so none of us will represent Jesus the way that we would like but I think part of living a life of integrity and in line with the gospel is owning that 
and admitting when we've got it wrong and seeking forgiveness and responding in that way rather than kind of just digging in can actually be a great witness about the kind of God that we believe in. But I hope you can see the encouragement here from Paul to Titus and to us is that as we live godly lives, lives shaped by God and his saving grace in the gospel, the more that we do that, well, the greater the impact it will have on the mission. And again, notice here, it's not just one or the other. Paul's not pitting good works and evangelism against each other here. Instead, they go hand in hand. Uh, In this letter to Titus, Titus has just arrived on this little island of Crete and there are those who are sharing the gospel around on that island. Uh, Paul's already reminded them in the first chapter of the importance of speaking the gospel. But as that gospel is being shared, well, the lives of believers uh, back that up. That's how it works. As people are sharing the news of God's generosity, well, believers are to embody that generosity and kindness in their relationships with others. As people are sharing about God's forgiveness, well, believers are to display that in acts of mercy to those around them. As people declare the truth about Christ, well, believers are to be marked by trustworthiness and integrity. As they and as we live out the gospel, well, the message uh, becomes more plausible. Um, Our godly living is a necessary part of promoting the gospel. So as we conclude, well, let me ask, how are we going to put that into practice? Um, How are we going to be a church marked by good deeds worth questioning? Uh, How are you, as a follower of Jesus, going to live a life that represents Christ through your godly living? I'm kind of tempted at you know, at this point to think, here's all these activities that we should do. Um, But I think what we really need to do is think about the gospel. Because just as we are saved by God's grace and not by our good works, well, it's also only by God's grace that we will grow and be transformed as God's church and as believers to represent him. Uh, Really, that's what Paul says so clearly here in verses 11 and 12 of Titus chapter 2. Uh, Just take a look at verse 11 again. This is what he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, that is the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So how is Paul saying that we grow in the likeness of Christ and be transformed to be more like him? Well, he says if you want true change, well, you need to let the gospel teach you. The thing that we need to do more and more deeply is believe the gospel. Because it's only the gospel that will change our hearts. And it's what is in our hearts that will overflow into fruit. Um, In his uh, great kind of apologetic book, The Reason for God, um, Tim Keller has a chapter on hypocrisy and, you know, the bad track record of Christians. And uh, he quotes Martin Luther King in that chapter who, of course, you know, is fighting against injustice at the time and um, 
What Martin Luther King said at the time was, he said, what we need is not less Christianity, but a deeper Christianity. A Christianity that is deeply rooted in the gospel of God's mercy and grace. And see, the fruit that will grow from that will be the light of the world and will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. So let me pray that God might help us in that as his church here at St Aidan's. Our Father God, today, as we hear this call to us about our lives and our behaviour, well then, Lord, we're just so aware that we don't measure up. Um, as your church corporately and as your people individually, I mean, so often we have failed to live as you have called us to. And, Father, we're sorry. Uh, but, Lord, we're so thankful for the gospel, which is for those who are not good enough. We're so thankful for your message of forgiveness and mercy through the cross of Jesus. And we pray, Father, that your kindness to us in him would be shaping and transforming us more and more as your people and growing us in that fruit of good works that makes the teaching about you, our God and Saviour, attractive. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.